Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 529 with Dr. Daphne Scott. I think you'll dig this conversation because Daphne is thought-provoking about what matters and how to navigate your relationship between time and money and career and more. So you'll learn, one, how your ambition is sabotaging your career, two, how to end the vicious cycle of stress, and three, how to easily fit meditation into your daily routine. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, they're at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F529. Now, here's Daphne's story. Dr. Daphne Scott brings two decades of real-world coaching and corporate development experience to her work with organizations, teams, and individuals. She combines strong leadership abilities with highly trained facilitation skills to bring individuals and teams into greater relationship, creativity, and ultimately, success. Daphne is a certified mindfulness meditation teacher, a professional co-active coach, a certified Hendrix coach, a founding member of the Conscious Leadership Group, and a member of the International Coaching Federation. She holds a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. By the way, I think I want to go get one of those. And a doctorate of science in physical therapy from Andrews University. Daphne is the Chief Culture Officer at Confluent Health and was previously the Director of Leadership Development at Athletico Physical Therapy. Big thanks to Daphne for spending some time with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Daphne. Daphne, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Pete. It's my pleasure. Well, I'm excited to dig into this conversation as well as learn a bit about your sketch comedy touring past. (laughs) What is the story here? (laughs) Well, I like to say that's almost where it all started. It's not actually the total place where it all started, but I did improvisational theater at the famed Second City in Chicago for quite a while, about three three to four years, and then went on to travel with a sketch comedy group that uh, traveled around the United States, and we'd go to do all, we'd do all kinds of festivals and you know write funny sketches and think we were just hilarious, and yeah, that's when it all started, and that translated into many of my skills that I have in facilitating groups now. Well, I'm curious, was there a particular sketch that just was the the hit. Like I don't, it got more laughs than the others. Yes. Not that you can perform the whole thing for us, but yeah. maybe give us a taste. What was the premise? Yeah, there were two that were really big hits. One was called Amish Pornography. Oh, and uh, by the way, unique. I need to give 
need to give mm-hmm. I need to give uh, acknowledgement to Nick DeGrazia, who was who was the founder of the group, the Comic Thread Amish Pornography, which was the theme song to Space Odyssey 2000. So boom, 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 you know the the whole thing. And it was just simply two people. It was him and myself, and we're dressed up as Amish sort of folks. And we're just simply, he is removing his suspenders very slowly. And all I'm doing is lifting up my skirt about a half inch at most (laughs) while this whole song plays all the way through. So it's literally us just standing on stage facing each other um, in this elaborate, much, much uh, elaborate sort of setup of this Amish barn. And that was always a really big hit because we didn't say anything. We really didn't, weren't doing anything. But it was just this idea that this would be really what Amish pornography kind of would look like if if you could. Oh, it was clever. clever. It was very clever. Risque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very risque. And then there was another sketch which was based on the movie Braveheart. And it was about this grandfather who was very obsessed with the movie, so much so that he thought it was real. And it just culminates in this great hijinks of him torturing his grandson. And it's, it's very, it was very, very funny. So those are a couple. Yeah. Mercy. Well, I, I love... I love comedy that's just a little bit out there. And um, oh. I think he and Peel, in my personal opinion, okay. are the most amazing yes. sketch comedians I've I've bumped into. Netflix has a new series, I Think You Should Leave, which is a sketch comedy show. And and it's amusing, you know, yeah. it gives me some chuckles. I have not watched it yet. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Well, so let, let's talk about your uh, modern day programming or what you're up to <laughs> these days. <laughs> you got uh, some stuff called Waking Up a Leader. What's sort of the main thesis or point behind this? Yeah. So it's my, I like to say my latest book. It's my only book, but it is my latest book. <laughs> so, mm, clever. Yeah, yeah. Your first uh, book. <laughs> it's my first book. Also my latest, my latest book. Yeah. So Waking Up a Leader is really the, the essence is this combination between the transformational skills that leaders and by the way, people who want to be great at their jobs need to have on board as well as the skills, some of the transactional skills that are really helpful for leaders to have on board. And it's specifically about looking at how we relate to sort of these five domains of our life, which seems to be these areas, especially in work, that can take over. So the five relationships that we're having are our relationships to time, money, ourself, our identity, how we see ourselves, friendships, and then of course, the very well-known unknown, <laughs> how we mm. relate to uh, the space of the unknown. So that's really what the book is about at its root. And intriguing. Well, I, I love a good framework, you know, breaking oh, that into five key yeah. ingredients. And so I understand in your own story, you had some relationships that seemed a bit out of whack. Can you share your tale? I did. Yeah, so good. Uh, that's a really nice way to say it out of whack. Absolutely. Well, you know, I started when I wrote the book really started with in terms of the five relationships, the relationship to time. Uh, that's always a big one with the clients I worked with and with myself. I had um, much the same experience that all of us have had, which is, you know, feeling often as though I never had enough time. You know, I never had enough time to do the things I really wanted to do. I didn't have enough time to play my guitar. I didn't have enough time to write comedy, you know, these sorts of things that I enjoy doing outside of my my working world. And then, of course, never had enough time to get my work done. That was one in one big relationship that had to change. If I got really to the root, though, what was happening was really there was this particular way that I just was relating to how I saw myself in the world, you know, who I believed that I was and, and also who I believed I needed to be to be successful. 
And I needed to be a person who had no less than 50 responsibilities um, at any one time. (laughs) You know, I needed to be a person who ran from thing to thing and got more degrees and more certifications and took out more responsibility and all these sorts of things that I had created in my mind, by the way, as these, these marks of being successful and ambition took over. And so the story progresses, my story progresses slow, you know, a little bit through the book. And I really had to work to shift that relationship at the root. That was really what was happening. And it's intentional that the relationship to the self and the identity is in the middle of the other four in the book, by the way. (laughs) I really discovered that that's that's what was going on the whole time. <laughs> Boy, yeah, so intriguing. So, yeah, so you're, yeah. you felt like you didn't have the time to do the things you really wanted to do, from the guitar to the comedy. And what the holdup there was, mm-hmm. you had some ambition going on that said that you needed to to tackle X, Y, Z. So, can, can you really zoom yeah. in there in terms of sort of what's going on in the experience of your life? And, mm-hmm. and the, the feelings there in terms of yeah. know, frustration or overwhelm, et cetera, as, as so well good. as sort of the internal dialogue that's kind of propagating that. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. You're getting right at it, Pete. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'll just kind of talk about through, I love what you said, the internal dialogue, because this is really what at the core is what's happening for all of us is if we've paid attention long enough, and this is really the beginning of the book, if we pay attention long enough, we start to realize that we're giving a lot of attention to thought, you know, that's happening, the things that we're telling ourselves. Really, there's a whole part in the in the book around the stories that we tell ourselves, right? So when I looked at how I was organizing myself and my life, and by organizing, I mean sort of my energy, my time, you know, my, my thought processes, how I was taking care of my physical body, my emotional, mental, you know, spiritual well-being, And I was really wiring that all together. It was based on sort of these root sort of experiences or these ideas. One that I had, first of all, let's just take this, like that I have to be an ambitious person to be successful, that I had to take on a lot more work. And what was starting to happen was if I, when I really paid attention to my experience, I was really creating sort of this idea that, you know, one day I would arrive, one day I would finally get, I would finally get there. You know, I finally reached the finish line. Which is really at the root underneath all that is this idea that things are permanent, you know, that I would finally get the title or the promotion or the money (laughs) or one day I would finally have all the time that I wanted and um, then I could be happy Uh then I could relax. And the idea that even once you had those things that they would stay permanent is really it's really the root, if you pay attention to all of our suffering, you know, it's really sort of the core that we're going to finally get this thing then and only then can we finally be happy. And then when we have it, you know, that it'll last forever. And once I saw the truth of that, like that, you know, that, that was years and years and years, by the way, I make it sound like it just, oh, one day it happened. But once I started seeing the truth of that, I started unhooking myself and having a different relationship, right, with myself. I started having a different, I started relating to this idea of time differently. I started relating to this idea of money. That was a big one. You know, I don't, I don't know how much you've encountered, you know, the idea that people, you know, you can't leave your current job that you're making so much money at and go find another job that could pay you just as much. You know, you have to stay in your current job because if you leave, you'll, you know, you'll be broke. (laughs) So you can stay familiar, but miserable. And I had to really, you know, was really working through that relationship. And so the more that I kept paying attention to what I was really telling myself, the more that I kept paying attention to my feelings and how also transient they were, 
you know, one, one minute I could be really feeling great, happy. The next minute I could be not so happy. And, and I started realizing, wow, maybe, maybe these things that are, I'm blaming on the outside of me, maybe there's more going on the inside that I need to pay attention to. Well, that's intriguing. So, so then the, the lie is, Hey, one day I'll have X and then it'll be all gravy from there on out. (laughs) You know, I'll have it. It'll be there. It'll be permanent. And, and happy days are here. Yes. So, so that's sort yes. of the, the falsehood that you're entertaining and, and it's causing some troubles. Totally. And, and so how would yes. you articulate the, you know, the contrary truth in terms of, you know, how is it really and, and how should we really optimally operate? Yeah, well, great question. So <laughs> it's tricky in a way because there there's the inherent reality, inherently things that are, you know, things that are true, but they're not inherently true, right? So it is true on one level that it's good to have some cash, like if you're going to have a business and, and we want to have a job. And it, it is true that that's good. You know, we probably keep the lights on. <laughs> probably mm-hmm, that's sure. true. And there's some truth to money, right? I mean, I'd sound like a complete crackpot if I was on your show right now and be like, look, money is not real. It's just that it's not inherently real. You know, it's not the thing that's going to ultimately one day get you the peace, calm, joy that you ultimately desire you know, that people are really looking for in their life. And so when we really look at um, the idea of money, yeah, there's some truth to it. It, it. It's reality. When we look at time, it'd be weird if I was like, oh, the time doesn't, you know, why don't, don't concern yourself with time. It doesn't really exist. There is a clock. <laughs> there is that we had an appointment today, right? Like it's helpful. But if I, if I start to believe that it's inherently true, that that's all there is. And I start, I start wiring my life around that. I really start to create a lot of suffering for myself because the clock just does what the clock does. It's, it's a convention. It's helpful to a certain degree, but time and space are really in the inherent reality. They're not dependent on the clock. So how I choose to relate to that clock really actually sets up my experience. I can, you know, be sitting quietly reading my book and, you know, feeling really, really great about everything. I can also be quietly reading my book and feel really stressed out and overwhelmed. <laughs> same, same exact thing on the video camera, but very different experience, right? Intriguing. So, so how you choose to relate to these things makes all the difference in terms of, of how you're, you're feeling and operating and, and yes. your ability to be effective, you know, in your job and, and, and more broadly as well. Yeah, exactly. So can we dig in then in terms of like, what are some best practices and worst practices in terms of, of relating to each of these, you know, five key things? Yeah, such a great question. And this is where the the transactional part of it sort of what sounds very transactionally, you know, transactional sounding fits into this whole thing. So I really, really love the question. So uh, let's talk about time, you know. Yeah, totally true. Time is, we use it. It's a convention. The clock is a convention. I don't have to feel at the effect. You know, one o'clock is no different than three o'clock. It's not doing anything to me sort of idea, right? That sounds great, right? It also helps though, if you know how to put stuff on your calendar, (laughs) It also helps if you do some planning week to week. And what I what I really like to tell people is like when I sit down and I review my you know, review my calendar two weeks out, for example, um, review my lists. I work from a list every day, and this is one of the actions in the book. I really see that as a mindfulness practice because I know that when I do that thing, when I when I review that calendar, when I have my lists up to date, and I'm keeping track of things, and I know what's coming, I relax. You know, my mind is clearer. 
even if I have a day full of appointments, when I've looked at that on Friday, you know, it's not, not going to have it till Wednesday. I know like, okay, these are the things I need to be prepared for. These are the things that I'm planning, you know, that are coming. Um, even looking back on the calendar, for example, a week can be really helpful. Like I, there might be meetings. I'm like, oh, I didn't grab that one. You know, I told that guy, get him that thing. And I didn't write that down. I need to write it down. So we really start to relax. And so I think that is one around, around the experience of time. That is one of the key practices that if people really are willing to just, you know, <laughs> slow down to go fast type of idea, right? It really starts to shift our relationship and how we experience things. And the practice is, is simply maintaining your calendar and a yeah. list of things. And right. so that sounds like a, a, a prudent thing to do. And, and so what would you say many astute professionals do? instead of that that's causing them problems yeah so good that's so great so let's let's see how this uh, fits together right so imagine this imagine this imagine if believing that you don't have enough time i mean i'm sure i'm sure you've had that experience before right <laughs> you don't have enough time and you're starting to believe that now if you already start to believe that you don't have enough time in your operate that's like your operating system what's it like to Think that you're going to sit down and review your task list and your calendar. Oh, yeah. Right? Exactly. Like you're, you're like, I don't have enough time to do that. I just have to get things done. And so people are playing whack-a-mole. They're not grounded in what really requires my attention right now. What's really most important right now? And they spend an awful lot of time, you know, sort of rethinking things because you didn't have it re- written down or you're having to go back and, you know, re- sort of replan the thing that you're going to do next. So that's what I watch professionals do is, and this is where I think where the mindset and the understanding of our attention and how we train ourselves to pay attention and how we work with the mind, where that fits in with a very practical thing that, you know, that we just talked about, which isn't very, it's not really rocket science, right? Like review <laughs> your calendar. But when you get these two things working again, you know, kind of sort of working against each other in a way, it creates a ton of stress for people. So, you know, yeah, that's really how this starts to wire, to sort of congeal itself into creating a lot of overwhelm and, and uh, not the best practices for folks. I see. So, so I, I sort of like a, a vicious cycle in terms of I don't have time. I yeah. need to go ahead and, and do this thing. And, yes. and thusly, they don't take the time to, you know, plan and set up the calendar and the list right. and, and then things get all the more out of control. And, and so is it a similar kind of a, a pattern? with the other four relationships that or yeah. can you maybe show us how that plays out with them? Yeah. So, you know, there's sort of these common myths, these sort of sort of mindsets that we get into. Let's take money, for example. And this is probably one of my favorite ones, honestly, because I work with very successful people and, you know, it's fascinating to me. And I ask them, you know, how much money do you need? So it seems like a reasonable question. <laughs> and none of them have an answer. That's fascinating. I, I, I want to dig into this for a bit just because yeah. I, I know exactly how much money I need. And <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and so I, I guess, I don't know, I, I sort of thought that was something that people who were interested in growing wealth knew. But so, so tell yeah. me a bit more about this. So so you've got dozens of, of clients that you've asked them this question and zero have told you a number? Yeah. So they struggle to have a number. And what's really sort of lurking underneath all of that is in some instances, they've had enough for a really long time. 
And it really starts to put back them in a corner mentally, you know, sort of in a way because they start to see like, wow, you know, if I, if I have all the money that I say I needed and that I wanted, right, then why am I not spending more, so we'll go back to time, spending more of my time living my life the way that I'd really like to live it. As opposed to spending time to generate more wealth. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. Which is fine. But you, you, that's not in, in and of itself a problem, but exactly. It's sort of the way they relate to it. And so the common myth that we all start to believe is that we need more. We need more money will ultimately make us happier. More money. You know, and by the way, when you get as much as you need and want, then you get to play the game of your fear of losing all of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're just never, you're never sad. You're never, you're never settled. Right. And so, you know, so we'll look at that. So that you start getting into this mindset around this and this starts to drive that quest for more, that quest for greed, which lends itself to everything from people not spending time with their families, people, you know, not taking care of themselves, their physical well being because they're working all the time to really, really horrific sorts of things like creating fraud, defrauding people in the company, you know, stealing all these sorts of things that we've read about in the news. Right. And uh, so when we have sort of this relationship with money that the only way we'll be happy is we have to have more. We're not clear. We don't have clarity around what is enough. What is enough? you know, individually, and then even in our businesses, what does that need to look like? Leaders really, and and people in their lives really get swept away then with this constant, we're on this treadmill all the time um, and we're never going to get there. So it creates a lot of stress for people. Well, well, Daphne, can I really put you on the spot here? Yeah, totally. When you talk about what is enough, can you share, you know, for us personally, as you've thought through these things a lot, you know, what is enough time, money, self, friends, unknown for you and, and why? Yeah. Well, enough time for me is me really lives in spending my time the way that I truly, you know, that it's truly in line with my values and my purpose. And I want to tell you again, it's not a, it's not a straight line. You know, I think these in my experience and I feel like, you know, I live in my genius 95, if not a hundred percent of the time with my work, but you know, it's not a straight line. People are asking me to do things all the time, you know, different things, things that by the way, would be great to, you know, I wish I had the space to just say yes to everything, right? (laughs) On, On some level. But then there's the part where I know it's not mine to do. And I had to really work through in my life, getting very good at saying the word no. And I know if I go do it, my energy level won't be that great. Uh, it, it ultimately won't bring me the fulfillment that I really, really can have, you know, know that I can have. And once you start having that in your, your work, it, it becomes pretty, it's pretty palpable when you're not doing it. So no matter what, when it comes to time, what I know is that I'll never have enough time to do the things I don't want to do. Hmm, yeah. And so as soon as I start aligning myself with doing a lot of things that I don't want to do, we just become more and more unhappy. <laughs> there's, there's that around money. So, so what's enough, you know, what's enough time. I have all the time in the world to do the things that I want to do. I never, you know, feel constricted around that. Around money, it really was a matter of looking at what, what's the wealth that I know I want to have to live a reasonable life and to be able to obviously pay my bills. Now, my lifestyle is a little different. I don't have children, by the way. So that changes some things <laughs> for oh, sure. people who have kids. You know, you have more responsibility in that way. But it was really a matter of setting up my life so that, quite frankly, where work wasn't costing me more money. You know, and I think when we start looking at life in that way, when I when I understood that the place that I was spending my time, how I was doing my work was really my energy, my life energy. It was the only energy I had, right? It's the most valuable thing that I do have. 
Um, how do I really want to be, quote, spending that? And is there cost on the back end that I'm not paying attention to? And then on average, they say, you know, the research says that once you hit about 80 to 90,000 a year, your positive emotion, access to positive emotion doesn't really increase that much, up, even up against people who are, you know, multimillionaires. And so I really started to look at that and I'm like, what is it for me to live my life in a way that can really allow me to retire early, quote early, right? To have some financial independence. And what does it look like for me to set my life up that way so that I have more flexibility around my time and my money? I'm not in debt. I'm not, you know, walking around with, you know, the most heavily marketed product and outside of crappy food in the United States is credit. <laughs> you know, what's it like to just not be living like that? And so I really started setting up my life that way and uh, realized how much money, when you choose to live on less money, guess what happens to your retirement account? You need less. Right, certainly, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, you don't need as much. So yeah. And, and then, you know, around my ambition and what that needed to really look like and where was I, you know, out of integrity with myself, meaning where I wasn't in wholeness and driving myself in a certain way where I'd gained 30 pounds. My relationships were really falling apart. Um, I even make this comment in the book, like I had all these great degrees and certifications, but all my plants were dead, you know, mm. <laughs> taking th- care of things in my life and not keeping friendships intact, both at work and, you know, in and out of work. I think one of the things I really landed on was that, you know, I was spending and still do spend a good deal of my energy and my life energy working. And I love it. And, you know, to think that you only have acquaintances at this place where you spend 40 or 50 hours or 60 hours a week, that gets pretty dry. And so what was it to really understand and to live into like really cultivating friendships and, and keeping track of people and not just seeing people as sort of a means to an end or, you know, I'm just going to help me get my job done and then I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was all of them except the unknown. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. All right. Well, the unknown really, you know, the thing that I landed on with the unknown really has a lot to do. Are you ready? Here's the, almost sounds like the buzzkill of the show, but really has a lot to do with death. <laughs> I really got in touch with the reality that it's coming. I just don't know when, but it is coming. And I had a meditation that I was taught by one of my teachers, uh, Stephen Batchelor, and this is in the book, but it really is taking a, a close look at and really sitting in this question that given that that is unknown, given that it's, or given that it is known that um, I will one day take my last breath. I will one day have taken my last walk. I will have one day pet my dog, you know, for the last time, given that that is true, but given that I don't know when that is now, what should I do? And it really, that was really the meditation that started to unhook me quite a bit from being sucked into that myth that things were permanent kind of letting me get outside of myself a little bit to realize that this this whole thing that I'm doing and existing isn't just about me. <laughs> like other people matter, other people are here. And so given that, you know, what should I do? You know, is it going to be about me just accumulating more, more ambition, more degrees, more, 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 knowing that this is all going to come to an end? Or is there some other way that I might want to be organizing my energy and spending my time? for lack of a better, which is finite in that regard, you know, for lack of a better explanation. So it was all these things together, you know, how we relate to all these things together. And interestingly enough, these are the things that I kept watching my clients struggle with. You know, it was the same sort of thing. And I'd get in these in these coaching conversations, I'd be like, wow, I get it. <laughs> I too have had these struggles. Well, and I'm intrigued that, so when you, when you do that meditation, so given the fact that I'm going to die, Therefore, mm-hmm. what shall I do? And given the fact that I don't know when that is. Yeah. Right. What sorts of action items tend to pop up over and over again for yourself and others when they engage in this? 
Yeah, it's great. Uh, one, you know, it's interesting because it, it, I've been doing that meditation for years. And one interesting thing, <laughs> I think you'll find this, I think you'll find this very curious because uh, I find it curious. You know, when you sit in it, it's the idea is just to let any answers that come to you. And sometimes nothing, you know, phenomenal shows up. It's just, you know, you're just kind of doing your meditation. But one thing that does consistently pop up for me is the word rest. It's sort of, and how it lands is not like rest, like go take a vacation. It's more like a resting with what is. It's more like a call to be with what is, which I think is probably a balance to my personality type, which the unconscious sort of part of my personality type is to want to be in control. It's wanting to make sure things are going to happen. It's wanting to, you know, have things turn out the way I think they should, right? And so there's more of this theme of rest, you know, be with be with what is right now and more of this call for stillness being still. And even in the midst of activity, having a sense of stillness, you know, even in the midst of us having a conversation, having the sense of stillness, that there isn't something that I have to make happen or that has to happen in this moment. So that that is a theme that comes up pretty reliably for me. And then there's real simple things like, it could be, I've done the meditation and just a simple thing will pop up like, take care of your car, you know, (laughs) like like there might've been something that I was avoiding doing. And it finally just says, look, it's time to go take action on this. And, you know, you don't have dragging your feet type of thing. So uh, it runs the gamut for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so then we talk about, we talk about rest. I'd love to get your take on, are are there some particular self-care practices that really seem to have a lot of bang for your buck in terms of much rejuvenation and not a lot of time? Yeah. Well, you know, this, again, this comes back to time for sure and how we relate to it. But I will say that undoubtedly, there are two things that we know really impact people's physical health. So if we start to recognize a few things I want to say about that leading up to it, if we start to recognize that the body, it's what allows this being over here to move around. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to nature. It will ultimately do what it's going to do. However, <laughs> if we really start to look at what allows the body to really function well, and to be in its best health. Hands down, there are two things that have really really been shown over and over again. The food that we eat really matters and getting some sleep. <laughs> and and again, those, those aren't really sexy things, right? Like we are looking for sort of always this like sort of magic bullet, this, this sort of one-stop shop type of thing. And uh, for sure, in my own experience, when I am, am, am eating very healthy, meaning I'm staying away from processed foods, I'm staying away from foods that are, you know, laden with sugar, um, processed stuff, they've pulled all the good nutrients out of it, you know, you're eating out of a box kind of thing, staying away from that stuff, eating as healthy as you can, and getting, for me, it's about seven to eight hours sleep a night. Those two things really trump just about everything anything that I could do. And, you know, the science really, really has shown us a lot, I think over this many last, you know, especially this last 10 years or so, although the modern, you know, sort of the media will try to grab all these weird sorts of things, but to try to tell you differently, but there's just no substitute for that, I think, with a physical body. And this fits into our mental and emotional well-being. The body and the mind work together. And so if we haven't, you know, taken the physical being and we haven't, you know, made sure that we're well rested and made sure that we've had plenty of sleep. We act real crabby. <laughs> like the example, one of the examples I love to give is, you know, and, and especially people who have kids really get this. So it's like, you know, if you have a baby, let's say the baby's one and a half, one years old, they're not really talking, you know, they're nonverbal. 
and they're crying. I have, I'll ask these, you know, ask people in group, like, tell me what your checklist is. You're like, what do you go through? You know, if your baby's crying, like what you're starting to try to, why is the baby crying? You have a checklist in your mind. And it's really great because parents will say things like, well, are they hungry? Do they need their diaper changed? Do they need to sleep? You know, do they need a nap? Do they need to move around? That's the other one. As far as the body's concerned is getting regular movement. And I point out to people, I'm like, I don't know why we made this weird jump that just because we had a little body and then it became a big body, <laughs> that we don't still need those same sort of basic things. You know, we need to have mm-hmm. good, right? We need to have good food. We need to get good sleep. We need to you know, be well hydrated, you know, as part of taking care of the body. So I think that really is something, and I, I could go on all day about sleeping, but um, that is really one of really a significantly overlooked part of our health. For all the emphasis that we can put on exercise and all these other things, I think sleep is what I watch people really skip out on. And all I have to do is pay attention to how you feel after you've been sleep deprived for about one or two days. And we're just starting in our best space. We're just not going to be, you know, the body is, is really running on empty. So we really have to keep that gas tank full. And um, I think those are two of the big ones. And then the third, of course, that I'm a huge fan of is meditation. And learning how to pay attention, because I think that is really at the at the root when we can keep working with the mind, which is kind of the mind is really all we have, when we can keep working with the mind and training the attention in a certain way and teaching it how to pay attention, then we're, we're more skillful, actually, at noticing when things are getting off for us. You know, we're more skillful at noticing, wow, you know, I'm, I am feeling like I need a, a bit of a break here. Um, and we can take action on things a little bit more clearly. And we're aware of how we're relating to things too. So I, I think those are the big three. And when you say meditation, uh, what do you recommend people do to get that practice up and going? Yeah, a few things. I, you know, there's a few, I will tell you, Headspace is probably one of them. If you're going to co- sort of go the app route to learn, I am a huge fan of Headspace. Um, Andy Pudicombe is the guy that put that together. And uh, it's just a great app. You can do 10 free sessions and then, you know, there's a nominal pay part to it that you can do. People can also access my meditations on Insight Timer. Insight Timer is a free application. And actually, there are hundreds of meditations on there and teachers too. And I have a very sort of a couple intro meditations that people can do. But I think any of those are, are really good places for people to start so that they can sort of be guided through a process. And then um, some people really like guided meditations and listening to them consistently. I kind of mix it up. Um, I don't do as much guided. I do a lot more just silent meditation. And I'd like to say a word too about one of the other forms of meditation that we probably need to talk about a little bit more. We talk about being seated and meditating a lot. That's I think what most people imagine, Mm -hmm. right? But there's walking meditations (laughs) and you you can meditate and walk. And um, I, I've even noticed in my own teachings, when I'm working with people, I don't talk about that probably as much as I could and probably should because learning how to sit, you know, most of us are just not used to being still that long, you know, so that can take a little bit longer. Whereas I find if people learn how to meditate and how to do a walking meditation, that can be just as, just as beneficial. And so you can use all these different postures, you know, sitting, lying, walking, and be in those different positions, which I think is really good too. So Headspace, big fan, and uh, my meditations are also on Insight Timer too. So, And if we're doing a walking meditation, how does that go in practice? Yeah, yeah. A couple ways to do it. One, the way that I teach is, and the, the reason I like this is because it doesn't take a lot of, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to walk five miles <laughs> if you don't meditate. You can just do it in a space about 20 feet you know, long, which means that people can do it sort of in their office building or, you know, uh, in their, in their place of work too. But 
you find a stretch, you know, about 20 feet or so. And the idea, the basic premise is that you're putting your attention, and this is the basic premise with any meditation, but you're putting your premise on what it is that's really happening in that moment. And we really bring the attention to the feet because you're walking and noticing what each step actually is like. And noticing that like, oh, my right heel is touching the ground. My right toe is lifting, you know, ball of my foot is touching the ground. And and then my left leg is moving. And really bringing your attention to all of those moment by moment nuances as you're just in this space of going from one side of the room, if you will, to the other side of the room, and then just simply turning and going back the other direction. And so the idea is just bringing the attention and awareness to, oh, this is, I'm stepping now, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. the next step and I'm doing that. And you're using the walking and the stepping and literally the foot making contact with the ground as the anchor, just like you might with the breath if you were using seated meditation. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Give it a shot. I think you'll like it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. If you haven't done it before, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a nice Mm -hmm. way to do it. And I think people really do enjoy it because you're moving, you know, I think people kind of can feel a little constrained when they're sitting at first and then, and then do a combination of them, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, Daphne, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I think that's, I think that's good. I think we're covering, I think we got through the whole point. (laughs) All right. Good. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I love the quote, it comes from Aristotle, but how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm, Thank you. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a really big fan of that quote. And I think because it brings me back to, it brings me back to being mindful, you know, it brings me back to being aware of how I'm organizing myself, how I'm moving through the world. And when I get on autopilot, you know, I'm not paying attention, (laughs) you know, how I can be unskillful sometimes. So Uh yeah, I'm a big fan of that quote. Yeah. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Oh my gosh. I'm going to cite, there's two. I have two favorite research articles. I'm going to, I'm going to totally nerd out now. By the way, I was a physical therapist and did clinical research for, in my first, you know, career. But one of my favorite articles was an editorial that was written by um, a pretty popular physical therapist at the time, Tony Delito. And he wrote this article and it was basically titled such, Stop Looking for the Magic Bullet. And he was writing about treating uh, low back dysfunction in the United States and how people were just trying to find this one cure-all. <laughs> you know, like people could just take a pill and we they'd be rid of all their back pain. However, that article really shifted my awareness of life in general, of how much time I was spending trying to find that magic bullet. And it was really what we were just talking about, Pete, around I'll finally be happy when, if Mm -hmm. only. And that article had, I mean, I think he wrote that like 19, I mean, I want to say it was like 1998 or something. It might've been 2001, but that always stuck with me, even though it was very clearly around back pain. It was very clearly uh, around, you know, clinical science. Um, The idea, the premise stuck with me for a really long time, even till now. And then the other study was done by Killingsworth and it was on looking at how people are relating to what they're doing in the moment. And if that really matters, the idea is that our minds wander all the time. And and does it really matter? You know, does it matter if we're really present? Everybody tells us it matters, but how much does it matter? How much does it really impact our experience day to day? And so they did this amazing study where they did experience sampling and they had these like over 2000 subjects and they gave them, it was an app on their phone and they could, they, so they could interrupt them through the day and say, Hey, what are you doing? Are you thinking about what you're doing? 
how much are you enjoying what you're doing right now? And so they just collected all these variables from these people. And what they found was pretty, pretty amazing, actually. First of all, this might not surprise you, but, you know, of course, when people were doing something that they enjoyed and they were fully present with it, they really enjoyed it. Interestingly enough, though, when they asked people, hey, what are you doing right now? Are you liking it? People were like, not so much, but how, how engaged are you with it? And they'd be like fully engaged. And then they'd say, how much enjoyment are you getting? People reported just as high of positive engagement as they did when they were doing something that they actually enjoyed. And what they really found, and this I think really comes back to the premise of my book, is that it's when people were fully present with what they were doing, it didn't matter as much the actual content of what they were doing wasn't driving how much well-being they were having in the moment. It literally was how present they were to what was happening that was really impacting the outcome of their enjoyment, positive emotion, and feeling engaged with what they were doing. So I thought that that study was very, very telling about um, the importance of how present we are in our day-to-day actions and our day-to-day life, basically. Even when we might be having a difficult conversation with someone, the more present we are to it, the more that we, the more benefit we can get out of it. So those are two of my favorite studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book, I would have to say, I'm going to cite, I'm going to cite this one, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Have you heard of this book or read this book? I have not read this one. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it is some of the most beautiful writings by Dillard, Annie Dillard, some of the most beautiful writing I have ever read in a book. She opens up with this description of this tomcat that, you know, she's living in sort of this kind of wooded shack type of thing. And this tomcat that comes into her room and she just gives this amazing description of what this animal is like. I really love about the book is she literally would just go and watch, you know, she'd sit out on this rock or she'd, you know, go out into the woods and she'd sit there and she would just watch the, the, the most simplest of things like a bug crawling across the grass or the way the light was changing with the sun. And she would just write about, you know, she writes about it. And to me, the book is just so representative of what it is to be fully present and what it is to really notice the tiniest of things that we sort of don't give much attention to in our day-to-day existence. So it's one of my favorite books. I've read it like four times. <laughs> oh, cool. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. It's not a leadership book, right? <laughs> but I guess in a way. In a way, way, it is. In a way, yeah. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be more awesome at your job? Yeah, uh, favorite tool. Well, I use, um, for my project and task management, I use the um, app Asana, A-S-A-N-A, and I am a mm-hmm. huge fan of their their approach. It's, it's, a flexible, it has a, it's a flexible enough system. I practice from a productivity standpoint, task management, mindfulness of my stuff, David Allen's approach in getting things done. And uh, that app works really well because it's flexible enough and lets you set things up that way. It has a great, you know, project sharing tools and uh, they have the app on the phone where I keep track of things with my assistant. So it's, I really, really like it. And that's uh, pretty much my, my go-to for sure. Mm-hmm. Outside of my fancy pens, I do have some fancy pens that I like, but. It- <laughs> oh, tell us what, uh, what brands, what do we get? Well, I have a Montblanc pen that I really really love. And it's, it uses the, it, it's a fountain pen, but it has the cartridges in it instead of having to, you know, old school put ink in it. And uh, it's like my favorite and it's uh, black and it has a red cap. So Mont Blanc is, if I'm going to use a fancy pen, I will use that pen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And how about a favorite habit? Favorite habit, meditation for sure. Meditation for sure. And uh, reading in the morning, you know, my ritual in the morning is I wake up, I get, I do get a cup of coffee. That's <laughs> 
That's like my favorite thing. And then I read for about 30 minutes and then I do my meditation for about 30 to 45 minutes every morning. So that's, that's my ritual. Those are my favorite habits for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there a particular piece that you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often? Yes. I think the, there are two. The biggest one was one a statement I said earlier, which is, you know, you always have all the time that you need to do the things that you want to do. People really, that really lands for people. Um, and you'll never have enough time to do the things you don't want to do. So that one really lands for people. And I think the other thing that really lands for people is when I really allow them the space to discover that nothing is permanent. That's a game changer. And once they realize that they're really trying to strive for to keep things the same, you know, hold on to the good times, keep away the bad times, which, by the way, isn't isn't a horrible thing (laughs) for us to be wired that way. Right. But I think when what really lands for people is when I'm really telling them and getting them to understand that they don't have to worry about the good time staying around or the bad time staying around, that nothing's permanent. So that seems to really resonate. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to, um, they can go to my website, three W's waking up That's where they can find the book. Of course, the book is also on Amazon and then, um, they can message me there. And I also have a 10 week online leadership course too, that they might want to check out if uh, they're interested in getting some of the, those really key critical skills to leading and living their life. It could be helpful. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think my challenge that I would love to give to folks today to be awesome at their jobs is sit down once a week, once a week, clean up that list and take a look at that calendar. That would be the challenge and sit down for once a week, 30 minutes and see what happens. Just give it a shot. Give it a try. Yeah, that'd be my challenge. All right, Daphne, it's been fun. I wish you great luck when it comes to all the ways you're waking up and making it happen. Yeah, thanks, man. This was super fun. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me on the show. I've been really chewing on Daphne's quote that I'll never have enough time to do the things I don't want to do. And it really can be game-changing to reflect upon that if you are in a situation where, oh, I should do that. Yeah, I guess I guess I just got to find the time. It's like, well, maybe, but maybe what's more important is that you find the the reason, the why, the motivation behind doing that thing, or you discover that that's something you're just going to let go of and you can just be free of that kind of feeling of stress or weight or obligation. So that's what's been striking me. Hope you found some similar gems. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F529. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. We got Julie Morgenstern. We got a lifelong professional organizer of stuff and time sharing some of her pro tips. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's go. 
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.